From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. If you have a history of breast cancer in your family, learning about your risk can empower you to make important breast care decisions to take charge of your health. Today's guest has a strong history of breast cancer in her family, but was still not prepared to find a lump at the young age of 32. Here today to share her breast cancer story, how she learned to self-advocate, and the importance of educating her daughter about her breast cancer risk is Courtney Parker. Courtney, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, I'm looking forward to, to chatting with you and really appreciate you joining us today. Let's start off with your story, your diagnosis. Can you tell our listeners what was going on in your life and how you knew something was wrong and, and then what happened next? Um, so it was 2017. Um, I found a small lump when I was breastfeeding. I had been out of town and it was the first time that I had to like exclusively pump. So I thought maybe, oh, great, mastitis again. Don't want to be on antibiotics again. Mm. Um, went into the doctor. They went ahead and um, did a mammogram. And they said, just changes to breast tissue. You know, it's not mastitis. Mm. Come back in two months. Yep. Again, breastfeeding, the only time you're all up in your boobs. Um, went back in two months. Um, it grew to the size of a softball. Um, this time they did the ultrasound. They did um, mammogram and then they did a biopsy and uh, came back positive um, for cancer. Um, you know, the next three weeks were a blur. Um, I ended up getting um, a diagnosis of breast cancer in the other breast, too. They found on a scan. Um, the two ended up being separate types of cancer. One was HER2 positive. One was triple negative. Um, just it would. I felt like anything that could happen happened. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's kind of like how I found out and um, what was going on. That is wild. So, I mean, do you have a history of breast cancer in your family? I do. Okay. Um, my maternal grandmother, maternal aunt, maternal cousin, I think mm. that's how, I don't know the correct term with that one. Yeah. Um, they all had breast cancer at 42, 32, and 32. But I thought, okay, so it like skips, it looked like it skipped. Mm somebody like each time so i was like oh it's not gonna be me it's gonna be my cousin if anything um but it wasn't <laughs> um mm. ended up having uh genetic testing that was one of the appointments at the beginning of this journey um and i ended up being BRCA one positive um and kind of by the aggressive nature of the cancer i kind of figured that that had i had to have had the gene Hmm. Um, so when my genetics counselor called me, she was like, you know, the only one we found was BRCA1. I was like, okay, well then that's good. She's like, you've taken that the easiest I've ever heard someone. I was like, well, you know, I'm ready to move on. Like, yeah. let's get this going. Right. So. Yeah. Wow. So, all right. So walk me through, like, walk me through your, your emotional process. Like, how did it feel? When you, you know, you found out you had breast cancer, it had grown that much in two months. Like, what are your emotions like during that process? Well, I was driving my daughter to daycare. She was 13 months old. 
I had to pull over um, into a neighborhood. I tried to call my husband, couldn't get a hold of him because uh, my doctor was on the line and said, can I call transfer someone in? She's like, of course. Yeah. So um, I got a hold of my mom. Um, and she was on the phone when I, you know, got the news. Um, I got my daughter to daycare because my mom was like, you can't cry real. She's mm. like, you've got to keep it together. Blair's in the mm. backseat. Mm-hmm. Um, so after that, I headed to the gym, um, at my high school. Cause I also coached gymnastics. I walked into the gym and I had texted my head coach, um, and told her, I, all I said was it's cancer. Mm. Um, she came out into the hall and just held me until my husband got there. Um, I didn't know if I was going to make it to see Blair turn two. Mm. like, that's what was going through my head. Like, yeah. am I going to see her, you know, at are we going to get to Christmas? Like, what is this? Cause, um, I knew it had to have, cause I felt it. I knew how big it was cause right. you could see the line too. Yeah. Um, of the tumor. So emotionally, I, I wasn't present for the first probably week. Mm. Um, I thought early on, Oh, this is going to be, you know, lumpectomy. That's how it goes we're moving on. And I didn't understand that that wasn't the case with my diagnosis. Right. Hmm. Wow. So you mentioned earlier that you had one type of breast cancer in one breast and a completely different type of breast cancer in your other breast, which I I've talked to a lot of people. I've never heard that before. So kind of walk me through that. I mean, did that require different treatments? Was it more complicated? Like, how did that affect everything? Um, it was a little more complicated. I mean, my treatment, my doctor said, we're giving you the platinum chemo. Um, I that's not the platinum so, you ever want, right? Like, that's, that's, not, the, the, yeah, that's no. not the platinum you're looking for, right? Uh, let's look for a different, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. she's like, we're going to flip it. We're not going to do AC first. We're going to do carboplatin and taxol mm. first. Mm. And we were still waiting for the fish test on the HERT2 positive to come back. So um, we were just treating it as triple negative right now. Mm. Um, so I did that. And a couple weeks into that, I got the hurt official HERT2 positive diagnosis. Um, so we added Herceptin and Progetta in. Um, and then when I had finished my initial, what I thought was my initial carboplatin and taxol 12 rounds, right? Um, my doctor was like, it's shrinking. It's responding to this. So we're not going to do AC. And I was mm. like, no red devil. Like, yeah, I had just heard, I had pre- mentally prepared to do that. Right. I didn't have to. So it was, you know, that, but carbo kicked my butt. Mm. Um, so I was like, at least I know how that one felt. So the additional rounds um, were kind of more familiar hmm. with gotcha. it. Gotcha. Um, okay. I had to skip a bunch of weeks because my counts were so low. I got down to zero neutrophils. Um, and I had to go in for granite shots, like booster shots. I did like a whole week once and then it still didn't bump up. It was just like, those days I would just break down in the chemo mm. chair. Cause I was like, I need to get this chemo so I can end on this date so I can have surgery here. So I don't have to miss a whole bunch of school. Like mm. 
I didn't realize it wasn't in my hands. Hmm. So. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier too, you know, when you were originally given the diagnosis, you had your, you had your mom on the phone. Mm-hmm. And I imagine she was supportive through this process. And I, and I also understand that your mom was recently diagnosed as well. So what's that been like to have the tables turned where, you know, you're helping her through this process? It's crazy. Hmm. It's crazy. Um, we had always joked, um, well, since I got diagnosed on, so the last five years we had joked, um, you know, if she got breast cancer, it was just cause she was old. <laughs> and, um, she told me of her diagnosis on the phone after I had dropped off my daughter at school, we talk every morning and, um, she told me and it was, it was like a flashback. Um, and it's been weird because it ha- it happened, you know, early December. So like holidays have, I felt like have elongated the process, but I'm like, we're almost two months in, like, why hasn't, no, you know, what's going on? And, um, I had sent, I had called my surgeon when I found out my mom was diagnosed and she's like, yeah, we'll get on the calendar. We'll bring her in. And when I went to, um, that appointment with her, she's like, guys, this is not going to go as fast as Courtney's. Um, it's stage one hasn't, um, infiltrated any of the lymph nodes. So she's like, you know, it's going to go a little slower. And I was like, what? Like, why? Like, let's just move on. Um, Yeah. So she'll actually have her double mastectomy February 7th. And mm. I'm, I'm nervous to sit in the waiting room because she's done that. Yeah. And on that side, I don't know um, how I'm going to handle it, but you know, there's going to be other family members there. So it'll be helpful. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that you'll be able to support her. And yeah. I think half of supporting is just being available, being there. And I know you're, you're going to do that. There's no doubt yeah. about that. So, you mentioned earlier, earlier too, I think you said, I want to make sure I got this. You said you had two other cousins diagnosed at 32 and you were also diagnosed at 32. Is that right? And then I think you said an aunt and now your mom. So that's a, is that, is that did I get it that right? So my grandmother was 42. My okay. aunt was 32. My mom's cousin was 32. Okay. And I was 32. Okay. So, so considering that family history, I'm, I'm just curious, like, what are you thinking? How are you thinking about educating your own daughter? about her risk and the resources that avail- are available to her. So we were told she can't get genetic testing until she's 18, hmm. which dumbfounds us because like she needs to be able to get preventative scans, you know, early. Hmm. Um, I kind of say she's not going to college or getting her college fund until she gets tested. It's hard. Like, I just can't imagine because she was so young when I went through it. Mm. Like, I really can't imagine having to have that conversation with her because she knows mommy was sick. She knows mommy had cancer. Right. But she doesn't remember any of it. So when I have to explain to her that, you know, there's a possibility and, you know, there and there are great resources out there now and, you know, options to eliminate risk. But when you, if you have that gene, Mm. you can't do much. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's, it's hard to think about that, but it's, you know, we'll teach her self examination and just kind of 
do what we can. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, to your point, like being open about it, like that's the starting point, right? And and you can do that as she is at appropriate ages. And then she can have the testing done when she's at the age where she's able to do that as well. Right. So, yeah. um, but I think that's, I mean, that's where so many families struggle is just in, in having that open and honest dialogue and being, being real about it, you know? So, and you're doing that right now. So you're already, you're already way ahead. Um, <laughs> all right. So, so last question, uh, I know this has been a, a pretty wild process to go through at such a young age and especially as a new mom and, and kind of going through all those things. Like, what advice do you have for our listeners that uh, about how you've been able to get through this? Either just daily tangible things that you do, or how are you able to keep your mental health kind of throughout this process? Um, definitely trust your body. Mm. Um, which kind of makes it hard sometimes on the mental health because, especially on this back end of it now, um, I feel a bump or a lump or, you know, something's not right. Discoloration in the skin. And my mind automatically jumps to reoccurrence. Mm. Um, and, but trusting your body and advocating for yourself. Um, I feel like some doctors are like, Oh no, it's fine. It's like, no, no. Like let's, let's look at my history again. Um, understand where I'm coming from and let's do something about this. So, you know, the self-advocation is so important. And then also finding someone you can talk to. Um, I have an amazing therapist um, that I can kind of <laughs> unload on because it does take a mental toll. Um, it's, you know, you face the possibility of death. And if you try to bottle that in, like you're causing more problems for yourself. Mm. Um, so like really having someone to talk to and having that support system, like my husband and my parents and my friends, um, have been there. Um, my students were there for me. Like I fought, um, and I worked all through treatment. Um, I tried to get back early from, um, my six weeks from my double mastectomy. And then I ended up in the hospital for a totally different reason. But like, I wanted to come back for my kids. I wanted to mm. be back for my gymnasts. Like they, they kind of helped me to fight mm. and finding that core group is so important. And mm. even afterwards, like I just, you know, on days that I'm, tired or I'm hurting or, you know, second, like joint pain, all that. Like I come to school and I'm like, they deserve the best for me because this is what they've done. Yeah. So yeah. I think they're, they're lucky to have a teacher like you. I really do. So, and, and I think, you know, to your point, like what you said, like having a community of people around you that can support you is so important. Like our, now our listeners, of course, uh, they can't see your background, but in, in, <laughs> uh, in her background, everyone, she has a poster that says Think Pink that was written by one of her, created by one of her students. And I would imagine that's pretty inspiring uh, to have, you know, in your office and see on a daily basis. Yeah. And my kids for the last five years have made October doable, you know, um, and it's kind of cool because kids will come to me and tell me, oh yeah, you know, my mom is a breast cancer survivor and like, sharing their stories. Um, because at the beginning of the year, like when I introduce, you know, I say I'm a breast cancer survivor, you know, 
worked all through treatment. Um, and some of these kids are younger siblings of kids I had that year. Yeah. What's cool is that year, my students, some of them I had had for the third straight year because I started in middle school um, and I had them as seventh and eighth graders. And then I had them as 11th graders. So I think that also helped me because like I was like, these these are my babies. Mm. Like I saw yeah. them as middle school kids. I'm going to see them through. Mm. Um, and I joke that the um, class officers caught me on a day after chemo when I was probably still drugged up a little bit to ask to be their class sponsor. <laughs> so <laughs> I did that with them. Um, but, you know, I mean, again, like I wasn't going to say no to these kids because yeah. I had seen so much of them growing up and it was just a special, special group. Hmm. Um, I would, I would do it again. <laughs> I'm not going to tell kids that, but I would yeah. do it again um, because of that. So, hmm. well, they're lucky. They're lucky to have you and we're lucky to have you uh, on you. the show, just sharing your life with us. We really, Courtney, really appreciate you sharing your story with us today. Thank you so much for allowing me to. Thanks for listening to Real Pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.komen.org. And for more on breast cancer, visit komen.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com.